Hello. This is Joya Italiano. This is Jeff Ekman. And welcome to Oh, That's a Thing, a podcast about the real science and sci-fi movies. Even if you haven't seen the movie, don't worry. We use the movies as jumping off points for some pretty awesome and real topics. That's right. We're not experts at all. We're actually just a couple of goons who Googled some stuff. But this stuff is pretty cool. Yeah, so sit back, relax, maybe learn a thing or two. Here we go. Here we go. The 13th floor. 13 floors. How many floors? There's 13 floors. This movie, huh? Yeah. Welcome to the show, everybody. Oh, yeah. Hi. Sorry. Didn't see you there. (laughs) Oh. When did you get here? Yeah. We watched the movie, the classic 1999 film, The 13th Floor. Yeah. Starring Greg. Greg. (laughs) He seems like a Greg. He's a Craig. Ugh. Yikes. Craig Bierko. Yeah. And Gretchen Maul and... It's it came out the same year as The Matrix, which is wild. And it is a poor man's The Matrix. It is very poor, very I, destitute. I I think I said to you it's the deep impact to The Matrix's Armageddon. Totally. Yeah. Which it's is like, being a little mean to Deep Impact, actually. Right, exactly. Because Deep Impact, I remember being like, dude, this is serious. Yeah. I got really upset when that Were wave deeply, started going. Oh, I was yeah, deeply no, impacted. You, yeah. But this, I mean, okay, so this movie is based off of the 1964 science fiction novel called si- Simulcron 3. Simulacron 3. Simulacron 3. But it was also released under the title Counterfeit World as well. Which I think is a better title. Much better because, I don't know, simul- like, simulate, simulacron. right? Simulacron. Just it just sounds itself. very like 60s yeah. sci-fi, but I guess it was 60s sci-fi. But so. it, it, it was interesting in the so in the book that it's a story of this virtual city that it, it's like this completely simulated environment that mm. was apparently for marketing research. It was developed by a scientist to reduce the need for opinion polls. So inhabitants of That's, this little sim city or whatever, they have their own consciousness, but are unaware that they're only electronic impulses in a computer. That's a great idea. Right. Of like, of like using it to simulate possible outcomes of stuff. Yeah. I actually there was a recent Doctor Who episode that was entirely based on this like alien species that has simulated every possible situation Uh of the world and then they're planning on using the simulation to take over the world oh okay let's uh, we haven't listened to the trailer let's listen on the 13th floor of a corporate tower a team of scientists have created a portal to a simulated universe now after six years of testing they are about to cross the boundaries of reality When my mind is jacked in and I'm walking around experiencing 1937, my body stays here. They thought they could maintain control. You can't just keep plugging your brain into this machine and not expect to be affected by it. But once they opened the door... These people are real. Is this real? The experiment turned on them. You think one of them units crawled up the extension cord and killed its maker? Could call it the end of the world. So yeah, that's that. Yeah, it's a you know it's a virtual world, and they go in, and then it turns out that their world is virtual world. That's right. Yeah, which um, it made a big impact on me when I first saw this. I, pro- I probably saw it like a few months before I saw The Matrix, right. and so I was like, yeah, the thirteenth floor. Yeah, have you guys have seen that? And then the really Matrix happened, <laughs> and then yeah, you're like, oh, everybody was like, what? Well, I mean, at least what I like about this is the story that it's based on was one of the first you know, utterings of the virtual reality world. So I can appreciate yeah. that. It's just since that time, we've seen so many really cool fucking movies that <laughs> about this that are executed w- in a way better fashion than yeah. 
you know, we're able to, although Vincent D'Onofrio, man. I do love Vincent D'Onofrio. He's that 1930s D'Onofrio. bartender, but then also the like 90s, like, hey, man. Uh, I'm a computer programmer, bro. <laughs> Let's start off by talking about the number 13. Because this movie, I mean, it has nothing to do with the 13th floor, except they happen to hit that number on an elevator. <sighs> A couple of times. <laughs> so, triskaidekaphobia, triskaidekaphobia oh, yeah. is an extreme suspicion of the number 13. And as a phobia, it's more than just a mild discomfort. Mm-hmm. It's like people with this condition get acute anxiety when they come across the number 13. They get nauseous. There's vomiting, difficulty breathing, rapid heartbeat, sweating, feelings of panic. Do they specify if that's like hearing the word 13 or seeing the number? I think it's just people who come across or confront the object of their fear, the object uh-huh. being 13. So any like 13 of anything really could be spooky. Right. Baker's dozen. That's bizarre, man. There's so many goddamn phobias. Because, you know, people think that it's no coincidence that Princess Diana died at the 13th pillar of Pont d'Alma. Oh, God, no. Or that, That's the equivalent of being like, I found Jesus and Mary in my French toast. Yeah, yeah. There's a bunch of these. You yeah. know, the Space Shuttle Columbia disaster occurred on the 113th flight of the shuttle. Mm-hmm. Not, not to mention Apollo 13, which launched at 1.13 p.m., also 13.13 on the military clock. Right. It entered the moon's gravitational pull on April 13th, and which is also when the oxygen tank explosion. Friday the... It was not a Friday. It was not Friday the 13th. Now, like, part of this might come from the fact that 12 is seen as, like, a perfect number. Like, 12 months, 12 hours on a clock, a dozen is 12. Right. And so 13 is, like, an outlier. But Which is interesting because all of that's created, too. Like, we decided there's going to be 12 months. We decided there's going to be 12 hours. Yeah. But something about the number 12 is, like, common in societies and, you know, I mean, hey, 2012. Dozen, yeah, totally. I, I get it. I get it. But there's also like Tupac was killed on Friday the 13th. The Costa Concordia sank on Friday the 13th. But it, it's like... But, the coincidence is coincidence. coincidence you know yeah, exactly. I mean? like we, exactly. Have, we have this, this this human tendency to ascribe meaning when there is none. Like people making a wish at 11-11, you know, whatever, right, that right. kind of shit. Or like... What, what is it, your golden birthday when you're born? Like, you're the year, you're turning the year that your day is on. Like, I turned 28 oh, yeah. on March 28th, and yeah, so that's my like, golden birthday. You're like, what is the meaning here? Like, shut up. What is the meaning? <laughs> right. Well, yeah, because fear of Friday the 13th is called phobia. Too much. After Frigg, the Norse goddess after whom Friday is named in English. Oh, okay. So. Paris Givid- yeah, because I've seen a couple of different spellings. Well, it's, did you see that it's also partly traced to the Bible because Judas was the 13th guest at the Last Supper? Yeah, well, because there's a myth that it goes back to the Code of Hammurabi. The writers of the Code left out the 13th law on the list, but in reality, the list has no numbers. Huh. So, like, a lot of people cite that as the beginnings of it. But yeah, 13, w- the, Judas was the 13th to sit for the Last Supper. Loki was apparently the 13th Norse god. You know, the superstition, though, was not blatant until the 17th century. Uh-huh. But even since then, so even though, you know, yeah, Friday the 13th, uh, but there's still, like, buildings in Manhattan that won't well, include a 13th floor. <laughs> that's the thing, because skyscrapers have only been around since 1885. Right. They first had to invent the elevator before they could invent the skyscraper. Right. And so it's pretty recent, and hotels try to not have a 13th floor, mostly because of a fear of alienating the 13% of people 
That's according to a Gallup poll that said that they'd be bothered by it. 13% of people thought would be bothered by it. By the 13th floor. <laughs> Holy shit. How did I not even... I, <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. I, I, oh, I was like, I was like, I, winky. Well, I really didn't... Yeah. Well, there That's you go. That's pretty it. wild. Yeah. What an unlucky well, number. Well, I even saw... I, w- I was looking at this article in The Atlantic or whatever, and I think it was released in 2015, and it was saying out of 629 buildings in Manhattan with 13 or more floors, only 55 labeled the 13th floor as the 13th. So 9%. That's it, it, it's it's a very common practice to not do it, and it can also get confusing for firemen who have to be aware of which buildings do and don't have a thirteenth floor. That is, yeah, because some of them are like twelve B, or they just go, or yeah. they do M, like the M, mezzanine or whatever. Right, but also I've seen that M is the thirteenth letter of the alphabet. So right, 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 they, totally. You know, and also, yeah, because I I did look into like, are there any buildings that still build the thirteenth floor uh-huh. and just don't call it that? And there, it's rare, but sometimes they'll make it like a maintenance floor or right. a mechanical floor. Exactly. And that's what M can I think, stand for. I feel too. like most new buildings, they're kind of like over it. But at the time, they yeah. were. Or like if the, the 13th was the top floor, they'd be like penthouse. And that's right. easy to, to go about. Well, some motels don't have a 13th room. You yeah. know, like it's just in case somebody has a problem with staying in that room, they just rather not have the issue. Yeah. But like conspiracy theorists think that when the 13th floor is missing in like a government building, uh-huh. it's like. It means that there's that's where the secret stuff is. Oh, happening. of course, that's the Area 51 floor. style. Like, mm-hmm. oh boy. I think you and I both feel that luckiness, lucky numbers and stuff. Yeah, you can ascribe meaning to them, but effectively, we feel that they're very likely to be meaningless. Yeah. One thing that illustrates that is okay in the Western world, mm-hmm. the number thirteen is unlucky, but in Italy, it's considered a lucky number. Right. And Colgate University was started by 13 men with $13 and 13 prayers. Yeah. So whatever that means. So 13 is considered a lucky number there. And Friday the 13th is the luckiest day. But they see Friday the 17th as an unlucky day. I, like, I was saying before we even started recording, like, I have no issue if someone has a favorite number. If you want right. to get the, thir- the number 13 tattooed on you because you just think it looks cool. Like, mm-hmm. I really don't care. It's when there's, like, deep meanings. Like, mm-hmm. we'll, I'll get into numerology in a little bit here. But just, you're like, dude, what, so what? I mean, and the similar with, like, a Y2K or something that has anything to do with New Year happening. It's like, mm-hmm. it happens somewhere else. Well, Y2K is ago. slightly different. It oh, is slightly well, yeah, different. But, but in terms of, like, the time, where it's yeah. like, if the world was going to end, it would have ended the first time it struck midnight, right. not when it struck specifically in your city, dude. Well, I guess. I mean, like, we're <laughs> just making up when it strikes midnight anyway. Exactly. So why would it be on it, the dot? They're all, right. But in Shanghai, there are elevators with no floors, 13 and 14 and 4. And the reason, like, in Asia, you know, Singapore, Malaysia, Japan, Korea, and Vietnam, like, they all find 4 to be bad luck. And that's because the word sounds like the word for death. Death, yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, like, if if there was a floor titled Death Teen... We'd Would be like, you... maybe I'm not going to label. I don't want to live on the death teenth floor. Yeah, exactly. So... 85% of buildings with Otis brand elevators did not have a floor named 13th floor. Otis brand? Mm-hmm. Was Did Otis have a problem? What's, what does that mean, Otis brand? I don't know. That's that just Otis's internal numbers. Oh, okay. <laughs> like the, like... the elevators company, like they happen to have their own numbers. I elevator company. Yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. what? <laughs> what does Otis know? So in the movie, they exchange messages within the virtual world. And so I was looking into situations where people had used or exchanged messages over like video games and virtual worlds that exist in the real world. Mm -hmm. And in the Edward Snowden documents, it was revealed that the NSA and GCHQ sent spies into online games like World of Warcraft 
and Second Life mm-hmm. to seek out terrorist or criminal chat and even to recruit valuable informants such as people who like work in foreign embassies who happen to play World of Warcraft. Wow. The government was afraid that people could secretly communicate, move money, or plot terrorist attacks through the games. But it doesn't really seem to actually be a common practice. Mm -hmm. Peter W. Singer of the Brookings Institute said that for terror groups looking to keep their communication secret, there are far more effective and easier ways to do so than putting on a troll avatar. Yeah, that, yeah. But the New York Times reported in that GCHQ sent operatives into Second Life in 2008 and helped police in London break a ring of criminals that were selling stolen credit card information in the virtual world. Wow. So it did work, at least once. Mm-hmm. At one point, though, there were so many spies operating in Second Life that a deconfliction group was suggested to stop the CIA, FBI, and Pentagon from spying on each other. Whoa. That's like Inception level of like... (laughs) Yeah. There were so many spies on these systems that they were spying on each other and they had to like create a situation to make sure that they weren't doing that. That's crazy. Weren't we talking about, was it Google that would hire like young hackers to be able to... Well, there's like bug bounties. Yeah, bug bounties. Bug bounties to try to get like young hackers to work for the good guys. There's like, they call them white hat operations Uh instead of black hat operations where you're there doing good for the company and doing hacking to expose the security flaws rather than doing hacking to exploit the security flaws. Right. There's better ways to for terrorists to communicate uh-huh. that don't have to use online things which most of which are recording all of your conversations anyway. Right. Yeah. So, you know, it's it I just thought it was interesting that the CIA was like, we got to get in on this World of Warcraft thing, make sure that nobody is doing anything bad. Ah, kids today. <laughs> no stone left unturned. Yeah. Science. Similarly to like the unlucky numbers and that kind of stuff, I was looking into numerology because I've done, I've gone online and done some of their little numerology calculators. You either enter Ooh. in your your birth date or your full name, and there's all of these numbers attached. But let's let's get into at least there's <laughs> just the numbers history. attached yeah, to your name and stuff. Yeah, that's right. All right, I'm excited oh, to hear this. So the earliest roots of numerology are somewhat of a mystery, but some of the earliest written records appear in Egypt and Babylon. The Chaldean system was developed under the influence of the Hebrews, and there's also compelling evidence that numerology was used thousands of years ago in China, Rome, Japan, and Greece. But the the main credit for modern day numerology is usually given to Greek philosopher Pythagoras, who you might know of as the Pythagorean oh, the theorem, theorem guy, which is about triangles, right? And like angles yeah. and all that shit. Finding so, the hypotenuse? Yeah, exactly, right? The, uh, God, I remember those geometry days. They are gone now. So <laughs> I did not refresh my Pythagorean theorem stuff. But So he was born in Greece around 590 BC. He became this well-respected philosopher and mathematician of his day. And when he was around 50 years old, he established a school in Crotona, Italy. And it was called the Semicircle. And it was more like a secret society, which is pretty interesting. It was open to both men and women, which I found pretty cool considering the time. But it adhered to a strict code of secrecy. And the students were not allowed to put any of his teachings in writing. So it's kind of hard to like even though all of this stuff has been attributed to him a lot of the stuff that he taught during his life wasn't written down until after he died why secret society man they're too i know exactly the first rule about like psychology club or (laughs) (laughs) philosophy club yeah it's like you want your thoughts to be shared you're a philosopher dude like what are you talking about Anyway, so he was primarily interested in the principles behind mathematics. He felt that the entire universe could be explained through numbers. So he, st- he created the system that was later expanded by other Greek philosophers, but 
because he started the system of numerology, he's mm-hmm. he's attributed as being like the father of modern day. Interesting. So it is. Well, I mean, people do believe that the whole universe can be explained with numbers. Oh, so, totally. I mean, like, and, and that's and, something that fully seems to be paying well, and out. considering like engineering and mathematics are oh yeah so did, entwined you know it's like it's I, what the world runs I'm on so blown away by math minds i've not right. been one of those people so like the power of math and numbers like i'm all about but being able to explain the universe specifically like personality traits is where i'm like boo so numerology yeah, okay. is you're, you're saying explaining your own yeah. personality traits because your name has right. a certain so number that, of letters my grandma like, like used to do numerology my mom understood and all that but that you know it was all very like what are we doing here are we doing seances too like what's well, going it on? sounds what like it's we... it's very similar to getting your astrology correct you know. numerology for dummies let's kind of break it down a little bit Person's birth chart consists of four basic numbers. Three of those numbers are drawn from the full name, from your first, middle, and last name. Okay. One of the numbers is drawn from your birth date. So then numerologists analyze the numbers to discover clues about the individual's character, destiny, and life cycles. Does this sound like logical science to you so far? Each letter is assigned a single digit number based on its sequential place in the alphabet. The letters A through I are numbers one through nine, with the remaining letters reduced to one of those through simple addition. For example, like the letter J is the 10th letter, so you would do one plus zero equals one. So the value of, it basically starts over after nine. Okay. It goes in cycle. Yeah, exactly. Because, because. Because. Because, dude. Because. (laughs) Because nine. (laughs) That's the highest single digit. Right. So the three birth name numbers are determined by adding first all the vowels that occur, then all the consonants, and finally, the total of all the letters. The total of the consonants is your outer personality number. So the consonants in your name, all added together with their values, equals your outer personality number, which relates to physical appearance, health, and the impression the person makes on others through dress and behavior. Okay. Right. What my parents decided to name me is, that's what that's about. Okay. The numerical total of the vowels, A, E, I, and U, not Y, note, it, that's called your soul number. Okay. So this is thought to reflect the person's true inner self, encompassing ambitions and motivations, judgments and attitudes and feelings. The total of the entire birth name is known as the path of destiny. So that's the path of the destiny. The path number. of destiny. Yeah. So, so wait, let me just break this down for a yeah. second. So like you are named something. Correct. By your parents at random. Mm-hmm. And they're ascribing extraordinary meaning to this. Mm-hmm. That like your parents were in the mood that day. And so the universe is trying to say that you're going to become this kind of a person. That's right. Beca- okay. It doesn't include any, like if you have a nickname, if you changed <laughs> your name. Only if birth you, certificate. Right. It's like it doesn't specify. But that's what I'm saying is like depending on what you go by as now versus what you were born as versus if you got married and changed your fucking name. What it's if you like, legally just changed your or name? Or legally changed. That's a I mean, are we really pick? I know. It doesn't make any well, sense. Well, yeah. I mean, if we're going to talk about it, we're going to have to pick at it a little bit with that, that kind of a lens because that's how we come at things. Right. But, but that's but I'm like, just even the explanation, no, it's know, disproving itself, I'm, right? Yeah, well, think? that's the thing. It's just like, I'm just making sure I got it straight. Right. So the name stuff, I think, is even more absurd because I like even if I'm trying to be logical, the birth date, I'm like, okay, cool. That's at least has something to do with like with the time of year you were born or whatever was <laughs> happening at the time. Like, is there anything she, She's there? a fall person. Right. Exactly. Because she was born in fall. Well, well, and I, so I figured out what our soul numbers are. I am. Me and you? Yeah. I, I, yeah. So I did the whole thing. I've, you, is this like your Jeffrey credit score? Jeffrey John Ekman. Yeah, exactly. Do you need I a high number? All. Both your soul number and your life lesson number, you, mm. is number four. So four. Oh, lucky for the Chinese. Yeah. If you were Chinese, but you're not. So it's four true. symbolizes the boundaries that provide security for the three. 
As the square, the second perfect shape in mathematics, four suggests solid foundations and perimeters that contain and protect. The determined and conservative four works hard to provide strong fences and square meals for the nourishment of the three family. What does that mean? That's your soul number. You are, so the, the, a numerologist <laughs> determining who you are, Jeff Ekman, uh-huh. this is who you are. You I put meals on the table for the threes. are practical. You are cautious and reliable, the salt of the earth. You feel responsible for building solid foundations upon which the future depends. That is why you respect law and order. It also explains why your cupboard is never bare and you have something saved for that rainy day. You can be depended upon to be at the job every day and to finish any task assigned to you. You take Mm. pride in your work because it's an expression of yourself. You are concerned with the land and need to be connected in some manner through a garden and nature trips or environmental issues. Mm. Financial matters are of concern to you as well. They are another expression of the worth of your talents. You should avoid stubbornness, overwork, and hoarding. Don't you think that could be applied to anybody? Yeah. I'm like, I'm like, there's a bunch of that that applies and right. a bunch that doesn't. Now, mine is a little bit different because like my life lesson number, which is my birth date, is different from my soul number. But I discovered, <laughs> okay. yeah, exactly. Like how many fucking, you know. So my, <clears throat> my personal number is three, which is apparently the most imaginative and creative of the numbers. Ooh. Three is the mother, father, child. This family unit is symbolized by the triangle known as the first perfect shape in mass- mathematics. So you think about like the triangle representing threefold nature of divinity in most cultures, like the fucking... The triad. The, yeah, the, the triad, the, the trinity. The father, the son, and the ghost. And this is where like part of me was being like, perhaps there's something to this, to which I had to immediately shake myself <laughs> out of it and be like, Joya, no, you just like when you're complimented. Right. And that's exactly. what this is. That was where I was. Like, is, I was actually going to go with that because right. I was like, "Yeah, that does sound like me—a here, person who's good, right? Who believes in work who ethic in, and like, yeah, d- like doesn't leave the cupboard bare." Mm, so, Joya, according I mean, to numerology, you are ex- an extremely expressive individual who could influence others with your ability to communicate in a flamboyant style. Which, wow, right off the bat, I was it. like, "Nailed it, dude!" Somewhere there is a stranger waiting for you. <laughs> what? <laughs> All right. Whether you are speaking, warning, or acting, your bright, warm nature draws others who bask in your enthusiasm and energy. You are aware of your appearance because performing depends upon the impression you make on others. You dream big and your faith is often rewarded because positive thinking produces positive results. Because of your expansive nature, you meet people from different cultures and social strata, increasing your already broad and all-encompassing thinking. Do not scatter your energies and avoid exaggeration, self-indulgence, and foolish optimism. Thanks. I mean, yeah. who, I, I mean, for what it's worth, these as far as like base stuff about like who the person fundamentally is, they feel right. Yeah, they exactly. They feel right to, and they feel different between me and you. Yeah, it's and, not the in the s- ways that we are. Yeah, but also that was based on I think the Pythagorean system, whereas also there's that different the Hebrew system. So your numbers are different based on which one you use. Oh, so that's an, and then that's even different from the life lesson number. Like, okay, so I was born March twenty eighth, nineteen eighty seven. So I would do three plus two plus eight plus one plus nine plus eight plus seven. You're adding up all the integers of your month, birth day, and birth uh, year. Okay. Of, or whatever. So that life lesson number for me is different. It's the number two. So that's what's strange for me too is like in one capacity I'm the number three and then sometimes I'm the number mm. two and I'm like, D- okay, this what's is What's the number I two like? The, the number two... Poops. Oh, yeah. So the, the life lesson number is also... <laughs> Yeah, number two is poops. 
It's supposed to be like the guidance. So I'm a really flamboyant, expressive person. But the number two, it's also apparently this is going to be a good period for me for partnership because one plus one makes two. Oh. So marriage might happen during this time. Ooh. Well, they said a stranger is mm-hmm. waiting somewhere Just in the world. Some stranger. It says my model. Everybody's that my motto this year should be expect the unexpected, listen to your inner self, creative magic lies, and waiting to be explained. All of that kind of stuff. And that to me is just one of those things where I'm like, I can read it and have some fun in the same way that like mm. Mad Libs is fun, yeah, Cootie yeah. Catchers are fun, Fortune Cookies are fun. But I'm not going to sit here and be like, now my life yeah, needs to be there's lived. There's a stranger waiting, you know? And I don't know why. I think like what got me so into this and why like these especially metaphysical sciences or whatever get people wrapped up because it seems like you're using intellectualism to justify it, right? Right, right. You're like, and, and who came up with this nine cycle? And who, right. like, it's all fucking man-made, dude. Yeah. Ugh. What are your thoughts on numerology? Pretty much the same. I mean, people who have been listening to this show, I think, understand that we have a, a feeling of practicality, one would put it, maybe yeah. a disdain for faith without any logic. Yeah. But yeah, as a thing just for funsies, I'm cool with that. But I think it's a dangerous way of thinking because it allows you to ascribe your own choices and the meaning that you've created in your own life to something that wasn't your and own that's self. outside of you, right? That's bigger than yourself. Yeah. So I think it's more dangerous of thinking than it seems on its surface because, yeah, it's fun and silly and mm-hmm. what does it really matter? But it creates a kind of thinking of like, I'm not responsible for my own actions. It's the universe. And we've talked about this a little bit. And certainly your point with regards to astrology, I think, is is that. And that's where any disdain, if that's what you're going to call it, comes from with me. Because, yeah, like you said, innocuous kind of harmless beliefs. Mm-hmm. I really don't care, dude. You right. Everybody has a favorite something and you have a reason for why you feel that way. But I've gotten into conversations with people where they like sincerely are like, I am a Gemini. And so therefore, obviously that's that explains this behavior. Right, right. And I have an issue with that because it's like, it's we like, are very much in charge of... I can oh, act however I want because I'm a Gemini. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, not responsible for how I'm I'm a little acting. hard-headed. I'm an Aries, so I'm a little stubborn. And it's like... Or you're just stubborn because you're stubborn. Right. I just, I don't know. Well, as somebody who wants to build a solid foundation for the future, what was it that it said in my thing? Yeah. About like, it's important to build f- solid foundations right. for future ways of thinking or something to yeah. that effect. Because I mean, boy, it, aren't we doing that with this podcast? Yeah, because you're practical, cautious, and reliable. And so the emphasis for you in this year uh-huh. is on work, order, budgeting, foundations, close physical relationships, ooh la la, and ooh. the body. You have an the ur- body, the body, whatever. That, I guess like health and blah, all of <laughs> okay. that kind of shit. You have an urge to organize all areas of your life, all of these things. But I'm like, Usually, I mean, yeah. most people are in a continual state of like trying to get shit together. Wait a right? minute. Wait a minute. It knows my birthday, right? Yeah. So it knows I'm 30. Yeah. An era where you start getting your life together and yeah. start organizing things like I mean, for real, for real. I mean, hopefully you've done it before you're 30. Right. But like, I do feel like I'm doing that right mm-hmm. now. Because like I said, at first when I read that thing about specifically being flamboyant and performing mm-hmm. and like being aware of your appearance, but that's not, the, I was like, right. that is the whole, I'm all of those things. But then I'm like, your name is Joy Mia Italiano because your parents just decided that that was going to be your name. Right. It's, it's hard for me to be like, that's why I'm an actor. And maybe I am because and I have a crazy name say, and crazy people. Well, let's people, go down that road. Let's say, let's <laughs> say that is why you're an actor. Yeah. What does that matter? How does that change anything? What does that affect? Yeah, it doesn't. Who well, cares? And also, it's like, we. Well, I forget what we were talking about in terms of like being able to see the future, maybe like speaking to a fortune teller or something. It's like, if you knew that certain things were going to happen, would you change your behavior because of that? Like, right. is there ever actual any fate of any kind, you know? Yeah, free will. Am I right? <sighs> 
So numerology is cool. It's a party trick that I would do. I'd be like, come close. I have the chart. Give me your full name. No nicknames. And, you know, (laughs) you might hate your middle name, but I'm going to need that. I also wanted to talk about supercomputers and kind of the state of supercomputers and let me apologize in advance if this gets a little bit dry because I want to use some numbers to show how exponential this movement really has been. Mm-hmm. So as of June 2016, the fastest supercomputer in the world is the Sunway Taihu Light in China. Mm-hmm. They have a score of 93 petaflops of speed. It's a petaflop. So let's, let's consider the scales of computing. To simplify, let's use storage. Roughly 1,000 kilobytes equals one megabyte, right? Okay, mm-hmm. A thousand megabytes equals one gigabyte. Mm-hmm. A thousand gigabytes equals one terabyte, and a thousand terabytes equals one petabyte. Ah, okay. And this is at petascale computing. Wow. So ninety-three petaflops. Now, flop is called floating point operations per second. To give a sense of how quickly things have increased, in nineteen ninety-four, the world's fastest supercomputer worked at one point seven gigaflops. Uh huh. As we mentioned before, giga is followed by tera, which is followed by peta. So the increase in speed in only the last 20 to 25 years is 158 million 100,000 times. That's crazy. It's hard to fathom these numbers. Like I just wanted to throw some of these out there so that people can start wrapping their minds around how quickly computing power has increased. Mm-hmm. I mean, the fastest supercomputer in 1994, 1.7 gigaflops, but the Mac Pro that was released in 2013, which is way outdated by now, ran at seven teraflops versus 1.7 gigaflops. So it's thousands of times faster than the biggest supercomputer, which was the size of a house, in 1994. In 2013, it sits on your desk. Right. And it's like $3,000 instead of millions of dollars. Right. We think of how much smaller things have been able to get but are so much more powerful, right? Right. So it's not beyond the realm of imagination to think that those computers can be embedded into our skin, right. into our brains. Well, We've talked about that on previous episodes. Yeah, I mean, when you can get down to the size of a red blood cell, who knows yeah. what we're going to be able to exactly. do. Exactly, when it comes to like medicine, medicine delivery. and. Well, it's because if you think about cell phones from the 80s to the early 2000s, they were just getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Right. And the question was, is the cell phone going to become like minuscule? Yeah. And then the answer was, no, it's going to become more powerful. Yeah. It's going to go down to a certain size and then stay there and then become more and more powerful so that you can do more stuff. Exactly. Like we have this standard size that now we're like, "Eh, it fits in my pocket. Right. So it's a computer in your pocket. Mm -hmm. And where do you go from there? You know, 30 years. Like if the PC came out in, let's say, the 70s, Mm -hmm. just a round number. It wasn't until the mid 2000s that the phone became the personal computing device. And so it's going to be another 30 or 40 years before we see the genuine next like explosion of right but still we have a reasonable it's not like i mean i have a pretty big fucking phone i've got this lg4 people make (laughs) fun of me because they're like it's a whole tv but it's like you know there are certain things that you're if you're still watching anything on your phone you want it to be a certain size it's just silly to have it be like tiny because you want that you got that screen time right but yeah what do you think about fucking you know we all watch not all of us maybe but hopefully most of us in the audience watched saved by the bell we know zach morris's (laughs) giant ass phone Like, to think that that was so within our lifetime. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about, right? His Oh, yeah, his giant, yeah. yeah. And that was slick, man. I mean, he was the cool kid. Yeah. <laughs> but so, the supercomputers, like, back in the 70s, they were being used for, like, weather forecasting and aerodynamic research mm-hmm. and stuff. 
And then in the 90s, it was used for like brute force code breaking, mm -hmm. which is basically trying every code possible as fast as possible and hopefully getting the right one. Right. And if you have a computer that's fast enough, it can like brute force code entry. And now laptop that we're recording this on can do all that stuff. Mm -hmm. These days, the supercomputers are used for things like molecular dynamics simulation. Whoa. So it's not hard to see how we might in the future be able to simulate the molecular dynamics of an entire planet. You know, I mean, they're expecting to go from 93 petaflops to 1,000 petaflops next year. Next year? Next year. There's supposed to be a computer that comes online, 2018, where it goes to an exaflop. Jesus now, that's the Christ. scale above peta. Right. So exascale computing is on the horizon and... If 93 pedophiles can do this... I just wish it was a little bit farther away from pedophile because every time you're about to say pedophile, <laughs> I keep being like, you're 100,000 pedophiles are just going to be coming our well, way next I mean, year? If you store files on a pedophile computer, Oof. are they pedophiles? <laughs> oh my God. So many mics dropped. Moore's law is the concept that computing capabilities increase at an exponential rate, roughly 18 months. And that's really only talking about putting more transistors on a chip. Mm -hmm. You know, every time like you get more transistors on a chip, it can execute more computer programs and stuff. But Ray Kurzweil has a concept that's related to Moore's law called the law of accelerating returns. Who's Kurzweil? How do I know him? He's the futurist. He's the guy from The Transcendent Man. Oh, right, right, right. Of course. Okay. The singularity is near. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This is his book. He's a futurist who thinks that we're all going to be robots pretty right. soon. So he has a thing called the law of accelerating returns, which basically is like Moore's law, except it expands out to more scientific ideas. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, we're doing all this work in genetics, but you don't know how the genetics work is going to affect AI research. And, like, you, you never know how one area of science will affect other areas of science. Right. Whereas Moore's law is only talking about putting more transistors onto the chip. Mm -hmm. And we're running into walls with Moore's law where, you know, remember how it used to be, you may or may not from the 90s, you would quickly increase your chip speed from like 250 megahertz mm -hmm. to 500 megahertz to gigahertz very quickly. Mm -hmm. But then it stopped at about 2.5 gigahertz mm -hmm. because any faster and they couldn't deal with the thermal load. Mm -hmm. So it kept getting hotter and hotter and they oh, had to start okay. putting more cores, right. more like chip cores in. And that was the way that they continued Moore's law without actually continuing the megahertz increase. Uh, but now we're getting to that point. Where now we're going like... to, yeah, we're, we're running into core issues. And God. then and then there's ideas about 3D chips where you start building a, not just on one surface, but on multiple surfaces. So Moore's Law has ways of being stopped, but then we have other ways of continuing it. Yeah, absolutely. It's so interesting. I mean, we I find this all the time with, with technology, how it's like it's developing so much faster than our brains can handle it. Right. And it's like generations are going to get, they're going to be, more comfortable with these things just like you know a kid that grows up with a cell phone is gonna you know it's different but I just I'm so blown away by that and I don't know if I'm scared about it or if I'm like yeah all right <laughs> yeah well it's one of those things where things can grow so fast that you don't know what's happening underneath you right exactly you know but Facebook <laughs> I didn't have any favorite lines to do. Well, I mean, the movie stunk. The movie was a big stinker. Oh. Although I liked that the it opened up on Descartes, I think, therefore I am. Oh, yeah, quote. Yeah. We were like, well, oh, getting heady right yeah. off the bat. And then the rest of it, I was like. Oh, I, I wrote down a quote that I think I said to you where it was like, when things stop getting simulated and start getting <laughs> right. real. The real world. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because they keep going into the real world. I thought it was funny that 
Vincent D'Onofrio, when asked about what the theme of the movie was, he said it was about wanting something that you couldn't have. <laughs> and I was like, what? Okay. Is that sure. what it's about? I guess an actor has to find their inner motivation. motivation. <laughs> it makes so much, it explains so much about his performance, <laughs> yeah. man. Anyway. So you can find us at ohthatsathing.com and oh, that's a thing on Twitter and Facebook. I'm at It's Joya Mia on Twitter. I'm at Jeffrey Ekman on Twitter. And if you have anything that you would like to add, if maybe you think I'm totally full of shit with regards to numerology, let me know. It's fine. Yeah. Just go onto that website, ohthatsathing.com. Let us know. Yeah. Have a good week, everybody. See ya. Bye.